the 2020 MLB season will be one like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. Good morning and welcome to Las Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, now powered by our good friends at Book It Sports. Book It Sports is the app that's going to be coming your way November 1st, and it's going to change the way that you look at sports betting. Think about it as like an Instagram, a Twitter, what have you, for all your sports bets. You're able to post them up, your bet slips, what have you, interact with other bettors, and you get all the joy of what is like gambling Twitter, all the social media sites that you use to communicate with other sports bettors without the random cat memes from your mom, without the just absolutely terrible debates that we get into on normal social media sites as we get into betting and betting only, so it's going to be absolutely superb. App is going to be coming your way November 1st for both Apple, iPhone, along with Android. You're able to follow all that they're doing at Book It HQ, and you're able to follow the guest that's going to be joining us in the second segment at Jake Asman, as we are going to have our good buddy who hosts nationally for Sports Map Radio Monday through Friday joining me in the second segment. And by the way, if you're looking for Jake Asman's show, 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern, 6 to 8 a.m. Pacific. He always brings it. We're going to be talking to him about what we've all noticed from the series so far. Now, keep in mind, I did record this while Game 2 was in progress since these games are a little bit later, so a little bit of tight turnaround there, but with that said, an absolutely superb tweet. I'm going to have a little bit of egg on my face as I probably gave the Dodgers a little bit more credit for one win than I should have, so I will throw out there that disclaimer. I'm not going to run from it, so certainly was impressed by what we saw out of the Rays in Game 2. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys a little bit of a look at Game 3 because we know that today is an off day in the World Series, so we're going to be taking a look at the Game 3 line and just doing a little bit of a roundup as to the series as well. I don't know if I should call it touch them all or not, I'm going to not call it touch them all because the game is not taking place until Friday. But with that said, we are going to be taking a look at a little bit of everything. But here in the first segment, I think it's fitting that we recap the win that the Tampa Bay Rays were able to get in game two of the World Series and take a look at how they were able to knot up the series. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Six to four was the final in this one. And now if you're taking a look at overs out there in Arlington when the roof is open between Texas Rangers home games along with the... 2020 postseason. Overs are hitting at about a clip of 75%. One of the things I'm going to be mentioning with our good buddy Jake Asman is that someone had to step up behind Randy Rosarena. That would be Brandon Lau. This is someone that had a terrific regular season for the Tampa Bay Rays. He was really lost in the shuffle here in the postseason. He entered with a batting average below a buck fifty. Not one, but two home runs in this one. He goes deep off of Tony Gonsolin in the first setting, and then he goes deep off of Dustin May in the fifth. That really helped out this team. And for the Rays, they do all this despite the fact that they went one of nine with runners in scoring position. As we know, Tampa Bay Rays, they're prone to striking out a little bit, but they only had seven punch outs in this one. Meanwhile, the Dodgers, they struck out 15 times. 
times as Blake Snell only went four and two-thirds innings, so his streak of not going six full innings continues in the 2020 season, but four and two-thirds innings, he does give up two runs, including home run, but was able to strike out nine. Now, the four walks was a little bit unsightly. As for the Dodgers, they were able to get a trio of home runs, the one that came off of Snell off the bat of Chris Taylor. That would be his first of the World Series. Will Smith was able to get jiggy with one off of Nick Anderson, a guy that has had his struggles out here in the postseason. He's got an ERA north of four here in the postseason, but that was big for our good buddy, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You also had a home run off the bat of Corey Seager. has been absolutely amazing these last two series. I mean, you take a look at it, over the last nine games, he's got six home runs, so he was able to do that. That one came off of Peter Fairbanks, but Aaron Loop was able to give the team a solid eighth inning along with partial of a ninth inning as well. Diego Castillo wound up getting the final save for Anderson and Fairbanks who both gave up a home run, but for the LA Dodgers, they were the team that was highly reliant on the long balls. Three out of their five hits wound up going over the fence. The team went 0 of 6 with runners in scoring position. They were able to get draw some walks, but were unable to do a ton with them. And then if you take a look at the Dodgers as well, for Tony Gonsolin, he was pretty much an opener in this one. One in the third innings, he gives up that home run to allow Dylan Floro from there. He's able to get four outs without giving up a run. Victor Gonzalez, so he wound up giving up a run in his inning. Dustin May, he has not been good coming out of the bullpen here in the postseason. He winds up giving up three runs while recording four outs. He is trying to fill in for that Kenta Maeda role. He certainly has not been Kenta Maeda. I will say for Alex Wood, two scoreless innings out of the bullpen. Jake McGee gave the team a scoreless inning as well. And for Joe Kelly, it could have been worse than the one run that he gave up in his inning, but he was able to hold down the fourth there. But certainly very interesting in that now we've got a tied series out there in the World Series. And let's talk to our good buddy Jake Asman, set the table for Game 3, give our thoughts as to what we've all seen from the World Series so far, and so much more. And that's coming up right here on the Baseball Bank Podcast. Myself, Jake Peterson, now powered by Bucket Sports. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, now powered by Book It Sports. Book It Sports is the app that you've always wanted for your sports bet without exactly what you don't want from a social media site. You're able to track all of your picks. You're able to see live line moves, live scoring updates, what have you. Interact with other bettors while at the same time avoiding all those cat memes that your mom sends you. You're able to follow them on Twitter at BookitHQ. They're going to be available on both Apple, iPhone, and also Android starting November 1st. And this is a man that he's always available to talk sports because this is a man that you're able to hear Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern. If you're looking Pacific time, that'd be 6 to 8 on Sports Map Radio nationally. As it is, Jake has been joining me on the podcast. You're able to follow him on Twitter. Easy enough at Jake Asman. And Jake, it is always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Greg, always my pleasure, man. I'm happy to hear that you're on board with Booking Sports. You know, my guy Jeff Parles obviously is uh, involved in that as well. So uh, very cool to be on with you. Yes, sir. And we had Jeff on this podcast last week. Always great to get him aboard, just like it is always great to get you aboard. And I know that you've been just watching everything all year long when it comes to the MLB. And we've talked about this a couple times, the fact that the L.A. Dodgers should be the odds-on favorite to win the World Series. Here they are. They were able to get that game one win to be able to get momentum in the World Series. And as I see it right now, it's just really an uphill battle for the Tampa Bay Rays. Because the Tampa Bay Rays, they've been able to do everything right to be able to get to this point. They wound up overcoming, hitting right around a 202 against the New York Yankees. They've got so much depth when it comes to the bullpen. But in the end, much like we see when it comes to the NBA, when it's out there in the MLB, 
You just need a couple stars to push you over the top. Randy Arozarena has been able to emerge for the Tampa Bay Rays, but when you go up against Mookie Betts, when you go up against Cody Bellinger, Clayton Kershaw, who is masterful in game one, list goes on and on. It's just a really tough situation, even if the unpredictability of baseball is much more than that of, say, the NBA. Yeah, it's always tricky because you see one game, you don't want to react to just one game. But at the same time, going in, I think you look at game one and it came down to, simply put, the Dodgers star players played like star players. And if you just look at sheer talent, the Dodgers are the more talented team. They should be. They have the higher payroll. What makes the Rays so successful is that they have really been the ultimate team. It's been a bunch of guys just coming together and getting the big hit at the right time, playing great defense, getting great starting pitching. And in game one, they didn't get that starting pitching. Tyler Glasnow struggled. You can't walk six guys and expect to win a World Series game. And I was shocked how long Kevin Cash stuck with him, you know, allowing him to throw 112 pitches when he took Charlie Morton out, who was dominating in a game seven a couple of nights prior at just 66 pitches. So that didn't make any sense to me there. You know, ultimately, I mentioned the star players for the Dodgers. Well, that starts with Clayton Kershaw setting the tone, and he was outstanding. Once again, kind of poo-pooing this narrative that he can't pitch well in the playoffs. Has he had bad starts? Absolutely. Is his ERA in the playoffs significantly higher than it is in the regular season? For sure. But it's a way smaller sample size, and there's a lot of duds in there. But there's also a lot of great starts, and we saw that from Kershaw in Game 1. And then, obviously, when Bellinger goes deep and Mookie Betts does what he does defensively and on the bases, you're going to win when you have that type of star power producing. So Game 1 goes to the Dodgers, but if you're the Rays, you got to make sure that if it's either 1-1 or 2-0, either way, you know, Joe Torre used to always say the most important game in the series is Game 3, and I think that might play out specifically for Tampa. I think that's a great point that you bring up, as we do have Jake Asman of Sportsmap Radio joining me on the podcast. When it comes to Game 3, we know that it's going to be Walker Buehler who's going to be taking the mound for the L.A. Dodgers. One thing that we know about Walker Buehler, this is a guy that's going to get swings and misses, even though he hasn't necessarily been going deep at a lot of his starts, so he was able to change that narrative in his last start against the Atlanta Braves in the NLCS. He has been able to do a good job of fanning guys, and if there's been one kryptonite when it comes to Tampa Bay Rays, it is that they were the only team during the regular season that they struck out at the plate 10 plus times per game as a collective, and when you take a look at it in the postseason, I think a big thing with the Dodgers that sets them over the top in this series is just that they're able to produce runs in a variety of ways. Yes, the Dodgers wound up leading the league when it comes to home runs per game, and they were towards the top when it comes to home runs per at-bat, but you're still able to get the small ball going on. We saw it in game one. Mookie Betts stealing a base and thus giving all of America a free taco. And then he winds up stealing another one, becoming the first player in a World Series game since Babe Ruth to both draw a walk and steal two bases in the same inning of a World Series. Now, that's a very obscure and strange stat, but at the same time, it just sounds good to compare someone to Babe Ruth. But with that said, the main crux of this is the Dodgers have so many different ways to score. Meanwhile, the Tampa Bay Rays, they really have to be a bloop and a blast team, and it's just going to be really tough given all that the Dodgers are able to throw at them, just with not just Walker Buehler, but that bullpen in general. You're absolutely right, and, and I think one thing that is for sure is that when the Dodgers stars are at their very best, they're better than the Rays. I think most people would agree the Dodgers are the more talented team, but what makes, to me, the Dodgers so dangerous is offensively, one through nine, their lineup is just deeper than Tampa, and what the Rays have to do it's very difficult. They have to basically pitch flawlessly and not make a big mistake because home runs usually happen on big mistake pitches. And the Dodgers have guys in their lineup, one through nine, that all can hit the ball out of the yard. You know, Cody Bellinger, we thought, you know, maybe his shoulder would be an issue. And, you know, he goes out there and he hits a home run in a key moment in game one. So, you know, there's obviously, you know, a lot of things the Rays do really well. But, you know, coming in, 
you know, what makes the Dodgers so elite is, as you talked about, just star power they have and a bunch of different ways they can score runs. Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you there. And what I think is big for the Tampa Bay Rays as well is that this is a team that they really rely upon the matchups. And even they will get a little bit of something out of guys not named Randy Rosarena, Manuel Margot during the ALCS and the ALDS. He was able to hit a couple home runs for this team. That was nice. G-Man Choi has been able to be a solid platoon player, but right now the big question is some of these guys that during the regular season they were solid at being able to get on base. I'm talking about Brandon Lau. Austin Meadows certainly did not have the 2020 that he had in 2019, but if you think back to 2019, he looked more like one of the best sluggers in baseball. Between the regular season and the postseason, he's been hitting right around 200. These are the guys I think need to be the difference makers for the Tampa Bay Rays because you don't need one through nine to be fearsome for this team, in my opinion, but at the bare minimum, you can't have it be where you've got two guys for the Tampa Bay Rays where you're relying upon all your runs with in Margot and also Randy Arozarena. And then from there, it's just one of these things where it's like, all right, how do we flip the lineup so that one of these two guys can come up clutch because that's just not sustainable for success, even if it did get them this far. And heck, we both know that the Astros very nearly knocked them off with that style. Right. And, you know, what makes the race so good is that their pitching gives them a chance and they bring in arm after arm that gives them an opportunity to win. I also think it was big that the Rays had that extra day in between the LCS ending and the World Series beginning, whereas the Dodgers only had a day. I think that matters because you look at this Rays team and they've had to go to the well a lot with their arms. So the fact that even though they lost game one, the fact that they lost game one and it was eight to three and they didn't have to use any of their high leverage arms. I think that should help them in game two. When this airs, obviously game two will be in the books, Greg, but the Rays do have the pitching advantage in game two. And if they can get by game two and then hand the ball, you know, the big game, Charlie Morton, that could, you know, totally flip the entire series on its axis. Yeah, and I do think that that's a good point that you bring up with Charlie Morton because right now he's lined up for game three. He has yet to be confirmed for game three, but let's face it, if the Tampa Bay Rays don't wind up throwing Charlie Morton out there for game three, I know that this is a team that they embrace analytics and everything like that, but that'll be one of the biggest head scratcher on planet Earth. And with Charlie Morton, he's the only guy on this Tampa Bay Rays lineup that has World Series experience. We know how big he came up against, ironically enough, the LA Dodgers a couple years ago, helping them out. So I do think that Charlie Morton really can be the X factor. He can help out so many of these young guys that have never been in a spot like this. And if he's able to go out there in Game 3, he's able to deliver a good start, give this team a chance matching Walker Buehler toe-to-toe, that could be able to flip this series as well, just because when you take a look at this Tampa Bay Rays team, going into Game 2, we talk about how bad the Rays lineup is, but... Somehow, some way, despite the fact that they've been so reliant on two or three guys, they scored at least three runs in each of their last eight games. Yeah, I mean, they're a better offense than people realize. It's just a bunch of guys that, you know, nationally, a lot of people haven't heard of. But what, what they do well is they get timely hits. You know, when there's runners on, big spot, they take advantage. Obviously, Aruz Arena has been a star, and he set the tone for them in all these games. And, of course, he had the big home run to really get them going in Game 7 against the Astros. But the Rays are a deep team. I just don't think they're going to lay down because they lost Game 1. And I need to throw this out there from Sarah Langs. Just an absolutely insane set about Charlie Morton. He has won three games and winner-take-all postseason games. That is the most in MLB history. As We do have Jake Hasman joining me right here on the podcast. And Jake, I certainly do think that we are both in lockstep that the Dodgers are the favorite here. And when you do take a look at the Dodgers, I think that 
one thing that is really helping them out a little bit more is length as well because we're talking about the starters. We're talking about Clayton Kershaw, how good he looked in game one. They've got Walker Buehler lined up in game three. Obviously, they were able to go a little bit more wholesale in game two with Tony Gonsolin starting. They had Dustin May and Julio Arias waiting in the wings, but I do think that what helps out the LA Dodgers is just having that front-end starting experience because one thing that I've noticed with Blake Snell and it wound up manifesting itself in game two is the fact that he hasn't went six full innings in over a full year. And what I think is just big when it comes to postseason is having those steady Eddie guys because we remember the Houston Astros were a big favorite going into the World Series last year. But the way that the Washington Nationals were able to win that World Series is that they just had a couple aces in Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, and then Patrick Corbin being a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades for this team. And I think that that is also something that the LA Dodgers are able to do. And they're able to back that up with more of an offense than the Nationals were last year, which I think is just a really lethal combination for the team, something that I feel like the Rays cannot match up with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what was huge for the Dodgers is Kershaw gave them length and they were able to, you know, save a lot of their high leverage guys as well. So both these teams entering game two have their big time arms available. I mean, you look at Gonsolin starting game two, well, Dustin May can come out of the pen. He pitches in game two. You know, what does that mean for his availability in game three? If Bueller gets hit hard or Bueller is dominant, well, then you set yourself up to have everyone pitching game four. Or do you go back to Kershaw on short rest? I don't think they would, but that's a possibility. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that could happen. I'm right there with you, Jake, and it should be very interesting as now we've got a little bit more of a traditional series. As we know, the prior couple series of the MLB postseason, there were no days off. Now we are going to have that day off on Thursday, but a man that he works every day, Monday through Friday during the weekday. That'd be you, Jake. You do an absolutely terrific job out there on Sports Map Radio. People are able to hear you a little bit earlier in the morning here on the West Coast rather than the East Coast, but you do a great job of helping people get their workday drive in and keeping them entertained. So let the good people at home know where they're able to follow you on social media and just what you're all doing on your show. Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jake Asmuth. It's just my name. As you said, Greg, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on Sports Map Radio. We have some fun. Take your calls. Talk sports. What's better than that? There isn't anything better than that, especially when it comes from Jake Asmuth because he does an absolutely terrific job. And it's always great whenever we're able to get him on this fine podcast, Baseball Bidding Podcast. So big thanks to Jake for joining me right here as we are now powered by Book and Sports and coming up next it is that time podcast that I give you guys a little bit of a roundup as to the first two games that we've seen from the World Series and look forward to games three and four as we've got an off day in the World Series for Thursday. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, now in partnership with our good friends with Book It Sports. Book It Sports doing an absolutely amazing job of just changing the way that you look at sports betting in general. The app is going to be available November 1st. Think of it as everything that you love about gambling, Twitter, and Facebook without the things that you hate and you're able to follow all that they do at Book It HQ. They're funding a whole bunch of podcasts right now. They're in partnership with myself. You guys know Jeff Parles, who has come on this podcast quite a few times to par 
Lakers. You've also got the Highline, a soccer podcast with our good buddy Tom Viola, who used to do some work out there with the Vegas Sets and Information Network. And then Olivia Moody, along with Haley Hull, who works over there at the South Point Race and Sportsbook. They do a podcast called Play It Her Way. I believe it's the only podcast right now in which you've got two female hosts talking about sports betting. So some absolutely terrific work there. And always terrific to get Jake Asman on this podcast. He does an amazing job out there with Sports Map Radio. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Now let's just take a look at the series in general and in partnership with that, we're going to be taking a look at the early line for Game 3 of the World Series, which is going to be coming up on Friday. So this is certainly not one of those where you need to rush in to get your bets in, though I will say I do expect a little bit of money to come in on the LA Dodgers and 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board. I'm not using the touch of ball sounder because we're going to be talking about this game once again tomorrow, but you do have the Dodgers and they're going to be playing against the Tampa Bay Rays with Charlie Morton going for the Rays and for the Dodgers, it is going to be Walker Beeler. As we know, the Rays were able to have some success in game two because in game one, they were just not able to get those big hits. And what I think is just so key for the Tampa Bay Rays is I know that they love the splits, but G-Man Choi has really been a difference maker for the Tampa Bay Rays here in the postseason in general. He only hit right around at 230 during the regular season, but here in the postseason, he's been hitting right around at 300-ish, give or take a little bit. We all know that he winds up always getting a home run off of Garrett Cole, and he had three home runs during the regular season. I think that two of them game off a goal, and then here in the postseason, he's been able to give the team two already, so that's been big. You've had Yandy Diaz be able to step up for this team. He had a nice pinch hit at bat in game two. That was big. Randy Arozarena has only gotten one hit so far in the series, but even with that, the reason why this series is tied, because you've been able to get Brandon Lau going. He was able to have two home runs in that game two win. I think that that's absolutely critical. And then the guy that has also been carrying the Tampa Bay Rays, and this is going under the radar, that'd be Manuel Margot. He wound up going two of three in game two, so he certainly has been a big part of what they do. And Joey Wendell, three RBI as well. He's the guy that during the regular season was doing a great job of getting on base. And then for the LA Dodgers, I mean, this is a team that they can throw out there pretty much any lineup, and you know that they are going to be able to have some success. Now, A.J. Pollock, along with Edwin Rios, Jack Peterson, and they all don't have hits in this series. I think that that's something that's going to wind up turning around. Mookie Betts is someone that we know is going to be able to impact the game in a variety of different ways. He was able to have a home run in game one. He also was critical on the base paths in game one and being able to open up that lead as the Dodgers towards the middle of the game. They were playing a lot of small ball and Mookie was able to steal both second and third. First guy in the World Series since the 1920s in Babe Ruth to be able to get two stolen bases and a walk in the same inning. Obviously a very obscure stat, but it's always nice to be able to make a set in which the only other guy on it is Babe Ruth, but you've also got Corey Seager. I really feel like he's the hottest hitter on planet Earth right now. No disrespect to Randy Orozarena, but this is someone that he has now gotten seven home runs over the team's last nine games, I believe. I mean, it's just been absolutely insane what he's been able to do. He wound up drawing three walks in game one against the Tampa Bay Rays because you can tell that they want absolutely no part of him. They wind up pitching to him in game two, and what does he do? He hits another home run. Will Smith being able to get going as big as well. He had a big home run off of, ironically enough, Will Smith in the NLCS. He was able to have a nice home run in game two, so you've got a lot of power there. And then I've been noting it on the podcast time and time again. Just the insane amount of overs I've been hitting with the roof open out there in Arlington, but I do think that we might have a little bit of a possibility for the under in game three because with Walker Buehler, he has now pitched a couple times out there in the ballpark in Arlington, and all three times that he's pitched in Arlington, 
three unders. Now, I believe that the roof was closed when he wound up going up against the San Diego Padres, but he wound up pitching against the Atlanta Braves twice, in which there were fans in the stands, and when there's fans in the stands as of right now with COVID restrictions, they need to have the roof open. And in the series against the Atlanta Braves, the combined 11 innings, and he only gave up one run. Now, command was a little bit of an issue for him in the beginning part of the postseason as you take a look at what he wound up doing in his first three starts against the Brewers, the Padres, and his first start against the Atlanta Braves. He wound up having a grand total of 11 walks and that was spread out over the course of 13 innings but in every one of his four postseason starts so far at least six strikeouts in every one of them and he's gotten better with every one of his postseason starts now he definitely allow seven hits in that game six start against the Atlanta Braves but with that said he was able to limit the damage he struck out six did not issue a single walk I think that that's very critical and what you like about Walker Buehler as well is that he hasn't necessarily given up a lot of hard contact he's given up nine home runs so far this year over the course of 12 starts between the regular season and the postseason. He is backed up by a pretty solid bullpen, including Brasuto Grider and company. The Tampa Bay Rays, we all know about their bullpen, even though guys like Peter Fairbanks, Diego Castillo and company wound up pitching in game two. Because you do have that scheduled off day, they are going to be able to get a little bit of rest. And Charlie Morton, he knows a little bit of something about knocking off the Dodgers in the postseason. So, I will say that three wins and winner-take-all games. Now, this is obviously not a winner-take-all game, but you take a look at what he's been able to do in the postseason. Three starts, a combined 15 and two-thirds innings. Probably should have gotten a little bit more of a in at least one of those starts against the Houston Astros, but I mean he gave up zero runs in both of those starts against the Astros in his start against the Yankees. He did give up two runs, but only one of which was earned. He's just really been a steady five-inning guy for this team. You take a look at it, he has made in his last five starts, all five of those starts between five and five and two-thirds innings, and in that time span he's been able to do a good job of not allowing anything to go out of the yard. Zero home runs. I think that that's absolutely critical, and with Morton as well, here's the last time that he wound up issuing more than two walks in a start. You have to go all the way back to the 2019 season. So he has been absolutely terrific with his command. So I do think that in turn, that is going to keep things a little bit lower scoring, especially if you've got an eight out there, because right now with this total, I'm seeing anywhere between seven and a half and eight with the Dodgers between a minus 155 and minus 160 favorite. If you're looking at the Rays, anywhere between plus 140 and plus 145 and your totals of eight have juicy under anywhere between minus 115, minus 120 overs, anywhere between even a minus 105 and on the seven and a half, the over is minus 120 and the under is even. But if you have a total of eight, especially if the juice winds up evening out a little bit more and I would suspect that there's going to be a lot of public money coming in on the over given the way that the series has gone. Certainly we'll be looking at that under. I do think that Bueller is really starting to find it. I think that Charlie Morton, because he is a little bit hampered and he's only probably going to be able to go five innings by hampered. I mean, he's not really going as deep into starts. I think that there's a little bit more potential for Walker Bueller. Bueller was dealing with a blister on his hand a few weeks ago. He seems to have fully healed from that. So I do favor Bueller a little bit more, but this is a spot in which I do think that the Dodgers just have a little bit more danger in their lineup. I still need to see something out of Austin Meadows. Certainly the signs that we saw from Brian and Lau were very good. And if you wind up seeing a quantum move, because right now I'm leaning towards the Dodgers, especially if I'm able to get a minus 150 or lower. But I mean, it's one of these cases in which if the Tampa Bay Rays wind up getting completely bet against, they wind up going to like a plus 160, a plus 165. Then I certainly would be able to look at them as the line stands right now. I'm looking at the Dodgers and I'm looking at an under, but certainly going to be 
be readdressing this on the podcast tomorrow. And if you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Bang Podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever you hear podcasts. That'd be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We are now in partnership with the Book It Sports, so a big thanks to them. And also a big thanks to our guests in the second segment, Jake Asman of Sports Map Radio. I hope that you're all safe, healthy, and doing well. And I will talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.